0: All right, welcome okay. to another episode of the Clay County Beacon Podcast. Today I have with me Amy Pope-Wells, who is running for the Republican nomination uh, for Florida's 3rd Congressional District. Ms. Pope-Wells, thank you for uh, joining uh, the podcast. I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are and why you are running for Congress. Well, uh, thank
1: you for having me, Josh. Um For many people that know me, they know that I have been involved in Clay County um, as a small business owner and a member of the Chamber of Commerce and multiple boards, both nonprofit and um, community-based. So why am I running? To be honest, um, this is never anything I wanted to do. Um, Even though I'm political now, I'm really not political. Uh, I didn't spend my whole life growing up, you know, building a resume to run. What happened was it was it was uh, February the twenty first, two twenty one seventeen, and I sit on the Small Business Administration board at the University of North Florida, and an issue came up in Tallahassee about funding of a program. My board asked me that if this became a heated topic. Would I please speak on behalf of the board's position? During that board meeting, I politely agreed and really didn't think anything about it. A few weeks later, lo and behold, this issue came to a heated discussion in Tallahassee. I received a phone call on February the 21st in the morning, sometime between 730 in the morning and 8 o'clock in the morning, and said, oh my goodness. This vote's going to the floor. Remember when you committed to speak on behalf of it. We need you there. And by the way, the, the position will be happening in the next few hours. And I remember telling them, number one, I'm not feeling well today because I'd actually come down with the flu. And I don't get sick often, but it was the day I was sick. Uh, and number two, I didn't have a whole lot of experience from the political side and what it meant for me to go testify on the floor. When the call came through, I first, first thought I wasn't even going to do it because I wasn't feeling well. My husband even encouraged me, says, probably today's not the day, let another board member go. And I hung up the phone and I remember thinking, I made a commitment. I'm very experienced in the space of what we're doing. Therefore, cut on the coffee pot, fix me a cup of Sarah Flu, and I got to go to Tallahassee. And I did. I went to Tallahassee, never been in Tallahassee on that floor before in my life. And I went and spoke. I spoke on behalf of every small business owner. And I felt like what their struggles and what their needs and what was happening. Well, it caught the attention after I was done. It caught the attention of then Governor Rick Scott. By the time I left that meeting and was in my car headed home in a very short period of time, Rick Scott, how he had my phone number, I do not know, but he called me he called me in and said, I want to meet you. Number one, I want to thank you for standing up for every small business owner in the state of Florida. And number two, I can tell you've never had any political involvement. And I want to share with you personally the importance of what just happened today. Can I meet with you? Within one week, Rick Scott was in my office and we talked about what was happening and why it was happening. That conversation led to a statewide initiative to change that vote and they changed it. That was my first experience. After we got that vote done and saved this funding mechanism, Rick Scott asked me to have a a meeting um, in Jacksonville with Vice President Pence. So this is February the 21st, and by March, I was meeting with Vice President Pence in Jacksonville. After having a meeting with Vice President Pence, it led me to a meeting with President Trump. It is March of 2017, and I'm sitting in the White House, and I'll never forget looking at that president, and I said, why do you have me here? He said, we have you here because we need more people like you rising up and speaking on behalf of the issue. This is about people and not politics. I said, I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a grandmother. I'm a small business owner, and all I've ever wanted to do is help people. I said, that's the the business I've been in. I've been in the job and healthcare business my entire life. And for so many years of my life, I always looked up to what our elected leadership did. I thought they were our best, best and brightest and smartest. And I was in awe of the work that they did. But little did I know what it looked like behind the curtain. So in March of 17, the White House had me sit on advisory for small business, health care, women and children, and I've not stopped. It, it, is, it is literally my opinion that our world is on fire and we need to still send real experienced professionals to fight and have the courage to stand up in D.C. You know, I don't plan on being in Congress the rest of my life. I'm not being rolled by D.C. Super PACs or any got any political favors in this. Everybody will say, oh, well, she's been here, so she's political. Let me tell you something. I'm the policy person, not the political person. So, you know, people that know me around here related to charter term limits and stuff, I don't sit down. I don't stay quiet. I try to be bold and courageous and try to share with people what's happening and what we need to be talking about. One of the things that I did is in our Clay County Chamber of Commerce, after experiencing this, I went to the University of North Florida, and I also went to Rick Mullaney, and we built a true public policy committee so that we can take the politics out of the conversation and we can have policy conversation, a place where people can get together and and talk about the issues and then inform all of our small business owners. So why am I running? Because I think now is a time for experienced fighters, and we have to send the right people this is a very important position and it may not change for quite some time. And so I just need people to know that this is about them. This is not about me whatsoever.
0: Hmm, that's a wild story. I got to say, I did not know, I uh, had not heard that story. Um, you know, how you, how you got involved. Um, that is pretty crazy uh, to go from, from speaking on a particular issue you're passionate about to, to meeting with the president. That, that's pretty, pretty interesting. Not a lot of people can say that they've done that. So Boil yeah, that down. Let me, a, let
1: me share another thing. with Sure. You. Hold on one second, Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For ahead. example, today, for today at four o'clock, I will be back on a call with Robert Gates, which, which is an advisory for the United States Global Leadership Coalition. It is the biggest machine of healthcare advisory. I will be getting the national update from Robert Gates on where we're at with COVID-19. You know, because a lot of people take this stuff and make it political. This is serious business. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's and, definitely, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not just, uh, it's not something to toy around with for sure.
1: It, it really
0: is not. Um, so let me ask you this question. So, I, you know, if you're talking to the average voter, you know, in Clay County in particular, because that's really where my podcast is focused, uh, and that's sort of where your roots are, you know, in Clay County, um, yeah. how do you boil down to something specific? If, if Amy Pope Wells goes to Congress, what are some tangible things you're going to work to try to accomplish while you're there?
1: Well, some of the some of the ones that I want to work on are ones that I've already been working on. To be honest with you, um, you know, since seventeen, sitting on some of the advisory, I've I've been able to see when you make policy and then you try to take it to the U.S. House how it gets stalled. You know, you know, my job is to champion, sponsor, and co-sponsor these things that are important to me. Uh, you know, and these are based on my background and long-term experience since the nineties. Jobs and economy, I'm in the jobs business. I have been a staffing provider for jobs in this community since 2007. We see on average 60 plus people a day flowing through that office. Um, obviously, I'm not doing that right now um, because I've got another big task that is at hand. But jobs and economy, we have to do everything we can to make it more predictable and sustainable, you know, and that's bringing back USA made products. And that's helping people with the workforce gap and skills and capabilities. That's number one. Number two, healthcare. Healthcare is a very complex problem and it takes people that have a lot of experience in healthcare. I don't know if you know this, prior to opening up my business in 2007, I was actually a healthcare consultant that consulted across the United States for staffing, recruitment, and providing hospital resources. So for many years, I sat at the table with the hospital CEO, the hospital CFO, and the hospital nursing officer who worked through very intense problems. And so I feel very comfortable of getting to the table and talking about what's broken and what needs to be fixed in, in the healthcare environment. And then also, recently, you're seeing more of our individual rights. You know, these individual rights are under attack right now. We're being dictated to So we really have to focus on what we can do to help serve the district and to make things more predictable, more sustainable, and more helpful, which is one of the things that I think is most important about the role of a member of of Congress. A lot of people don't talk about this, about, oh, I'm going to go to Congress, I'm going to work on one, two, and three. My opinion, Josh, is the role of a good congressional member is constituent services. It's exactly what we do in the Chamber of Commerce every day. People call into the Chamber of Commerce not because they're just small business owners. They have health care problems. They can't get access to insurance. They they have issues at their home and they don't know who to call. They're having issues with permitting. They they don't they don't know what to call. We're like an intake center within the county and so problems are flowing in and out all the time. So I think You know, that role in Congress, although it be different, it is similar. It is literally providing good service to the community in which you serve, making sure you have good constituent services needs, and that is how you make lives better. You know, Mm. helping people get connected to the solutions or helping resolve their problems is, to me, how best I could serve in that role. In addition to while not being on the voting floor fighting for, you know, what are obviously our way of life and our beliefs as a Republican party, I'm never going to waver on that. But when not doing that, my job is to bring it home, solve problems and bring opportunity back here.
0: Are there any, so let's talk about healthcare for a sec. Uh, What do you view, um, you know, as are the, what problems do you see in the healthcare system that we currently have that Congress can or should play a role in fixing? (laughs)
1: OK, so when I think of health care, I, I look at health care from a lot of different facets. I look at health care. Um, we're going to just roll it back a little bit. We're going to look back where, you know, it's March of 2017. If you Google Amy Popewell's White House, you're going to see me sitting beside Vice President Pence and then across from President Trump talking about repealing and replacing Obamacare. I believe I believe that is an infringement of our rights from a constitutional perspective. We we should not be dictated that we must purchase. Um, Being number one, number two, healthcare has not been given the attention that it deserves for many years. As a healthcare consultant, you know when you travel across the United States, although many communities have different diagnosis problems, you know different populations, whether it be diabetic or healthy living, non healthy living, those type of things. There's also, you know, the fact that rising costs have been happening on an ongoing basis every single year for many years. Prices of drugs going up every single year. You know, the problem is, is it, it's hard hit across all pieces. Nurses don't want to go in the industry anymore. Physicians feel like it's too much liability. I don't know if you know this. My son was a, uh, a pre-med student and he decided to walk out of that and decided to go study law medical law, by the way, but not health care anymore, only because he was so disenchanted the way the system was. You know, when you look at health care, in my opinion, we need to follow the advice of the policymakers to solve problems and not the politicians, um, because until we open up insurance across state lines and allow the market to kick in and to become competitive and incentivize people for healthy living. You know, we, we just can't, what we used to call in healthcare treat it, treat it. Come in, fix it, send them back. Well, we didn't really get to the root of the problem because healthcare is not incentivized to get to the root of the problem, right? So, um, and then when you look at our VA centers, I helped champion with Ted Yoho, making sure that we had the enrollment numbers that needed to happen in healthcare. Healthcare, in my opinion, needs to be privatized and we need to hold accountability to it. One of the members of my campaign uh, staff, just so you know, has been a long time employee who is an injured Marine. And we talk about his struggle every day through the VA system. It is, um, and, and his name's Corey, by the way, you know, healthcare has got a lot of problems, but um, there are some things that we can do to start fixing it very rapidly. And um, it starts with some deregulation. Those guys, those hospitals take, take on a lot of burdensome regulations as well. So um you know, have a lot of thoughts on healthcare, but I feel bad for um, uh, people in the industry. And, um, you know, we need a lot of regulatory reform in that space.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts just to stay on health care for another minute. Um, you know, I, I think I'm among the growing numbers of people who view the insurance industry itself as part of the problem. Um, health insurance essentially is a, is a glorified middleman in a lot of cases and and they're colluding to inflate prices while, you know, keeping a lot of their, their insurance premium monies and and denying care to people. Where do you stand on that? Do you see insurance companies as part of the problem or solution?
1: I'll tell you right now, you, you, it, it is all out of control until we have pricing and transparency on things. It's going to be a problem. You know, it's healthcare is, well, a couple things. Healthcare you know—there's a monopoly on that system. I don't—I don't know if you realize that,
0: right? Yep. Yep, I do realize it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you
1: got a monopoly on it. You got hospitals, which have become big lobbying companies. They've got out of the business of really taking care of people, and now they're lobbying hard to to meet it. But but you know, I have a lot of great friends also that are CEOs of hospitals because, fortunately for me, I got to spend a lot of time with them. They're just trying to keep the doors open and the traffic flow. Uh, flowing through, you know, to meet the needs to keep those buildings going. But the reality is, is I look at the hospitals like a business model, which is, which is kind of ironic. What business model do you know that you can say, well, we don't really release our price, number one, and when you come in, it's going to be what it's going to be in the bill. And oh, by the way, we're going to cut deals with insurance company with a 90% reduction in that rate. So we've got to get to a point where we, we and I told this to Vice President Pence uh, a couple of years back, we need to follow the proverbial dollar. Once we follow the right. proverbial dollar, we can begin to solve the problem. But nobody likes to talk about that, right? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I think, it starts with transparency. Absolutely. If hospitals could focus on care, yeah, if hospitals could focus on care, things would change a lot, but they're trying to keep their doors open and they're in a race against each other and we don't have good pricing models, we don't have good transparency, and we've got to start, we gotta have somebody courageous enough to start screaming it from the top of the mountain. Yep. And and you, I think you would be surprised how many people would actually embrace it minus the ones that don't.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that have ideas on how to fix um, the, the cost of healthcare. In our country, um, you know, there's a wide ranging gamut of ideas, but I think most people, most reasonable people look at the healthcare system and, and see that something is wrong in terms of just how expensive it is to, to get to get care. And, and there's lots of stuff that goes into that. Like you said, there's a lot of nuance there, but uh, it's interesting to hear your thoughts on it for sure. Well,
1: And part of that issue is, Josh, people people wait to the issue they have is exacerbated because it bankrupts so many people. Right. You cannot have a child with cancer nowadays. If you have a child with cancer, even if you have some really good policy, you you have to expect it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big problem. It's gonna be a big problem. And when people have to make the choice of taking a medicine and eating food, come on man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. We don't we don't have to take the liberal we don't have to take the liberal left approach, but we have to take a absolute business approach. And like I said, I spent years in it. I see the problem on both sides. And if we could start drilling into it and take the politics side of it and start dealing with the policy side of it, we could fix this. We could absolutely fix it, even though it is very complex. It's not going to be an overnight fix, but we can start breaking it down one piece at a time.
0: Yeah, I think the most famous example that you hear uh, tossed around now is the price of insulin. Um, and you know, and a year ago or a year or so ago, it was the price of uh, epipens, <laughs> right? Like you know, things that are life-saving, like critical to some folks. Like I have a nephew who has a peanut allergy. You know, there was one point where it was $500, $600 with insurance kicking in to to get, you know, an EpiPen in case he had an allergic reaction. So, you know, I think those are the things that really sort of catch people's eye. So it's good to hear that somebody's saying, yes, there's problems. Yes, you know, there, there's got to be solutions and someone's going to work towards, you know, actually enacting yeah, those yeah. solutions. Um,
1: well, yeah. I will promise you this. I have been and I will be a loud voice in this space because I'm very comfortable in it.
0: That's good to know. Um, so let's talk a little bit. You talked a little bit about deregulation. Um, you know, so I want to talk, uh, there, there's a lot of hubbub around COVID-19 in general. And one of the things that shook out in the early stages of COVID-19 was um, shortages, shortages of all sorts of different types of goods. You know, there's the infamous toilet paper shortage, and then there was meat shortages, and there was right. all sorts of products. Um, and there was a conversation around deregulating the food industry um, and making it so that it's easier... Yep for people who make the food, right, who grow the food to mm-hmm. get it to, in the hands of people who want to buy the food. Uh, would, would that be sure. any part of your focus? What are your thoughts on deregulation outside of medical, you know, in the healthcare industry? Do you have any thoughts around deregulation of other industries that might be beneficial to the public?
1: Sure. Well, if you look at, well, I'll, I'll just tell you my, my position on regulation. Far too many, and we must change. I'll, I'll tell you that. Regulations cost Americans every single day, and I believe um, Congress has failed here. Um, Some regulations are necessary. um, For example, insider trading, toxic waste, things like that. But, you know, one of the things that we need to do is to drill into what regulations are necessary and which ones are not, right? Right. So when we talk about food, and I know you saw this in the situation with COVID-19, and Farmers are dumping food because they only have, they either have a channel of selling directly to the restaurant or they have a channel directly selling to um, the uh, uh, grocery stores, right? Right. Why Why in the world are we putting regulations on our farmers? Our farmers should be able to sell. You know, as long as they're in good standing, um, then we we this is this is silly that we can't we can't fix this people going hungry because farmers can't get it out to them you know and dumping right. things um uh, especially in the midst of pandemic but it just the pandemic only flushed out a problem that should have been addressed a long time ago right right so um i believe i believe these limits are unconstitutional in my, in my opinion because you know well we're going to let you grow this but we're only going to let you do it this way and so you know we once again have to We have to weed out the bad actors in this space, right? Whenever you have problems and things that are happening. But until you allow market and regular business flow to take place, you know, it's going to be a problem. So deregulation of the food industry, you know, needs to be closely looked at. And again, like I said, we need to weed out bad actors. But again, our farmers should be able to to grow and sell um, where they need to. And I, I just think the limits are ridiculous. And, and again, like I said, with many other regulations, I think there are far too many and it must change.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to think there's so many laws and regulations on the books that, that every day, like <laughs> every every citizen in the country I, probably commits a crime or violates a regulation at some point in their day, like every single day. And it's just, you know, insane to me.
1: Exactly. Well, you know what? And one of the things that we should talk about is far too long that these regulations have come and gone with the strokes of the president's pen. Right. Like, really? Yeah. Isn't this Congress's job, not the executive branch's job?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Executive orders. You know, we could we could talk <laughs> for hours on on my thoughts on on president's, uh, yep. you know, ruling via fiat, a.k.a. executive orders. Uh, so I'm with you there. Like sure. it's, there's checks and balances for a reason. If we're going to have government, you know, it should it, it, they're con, they're confined. there are constraints put on government to, to make it healthy and and good. And when you start to act outside of the constraints, you know, you, you, you go down a road that could lead and I'm not saying it has or or whatever, but it could lead to a place you don't want to be. So another, another focus of Congress is, you know, the federal budget, uh, you know, federal, the federal government's in a lot of debt. Um, you know, how how much attention would you give to, you know, a balanced budget or where do you stand on, on the federal budget and and deficit and, and debt in general?
1: You're, ask, you're asking me one of my favorite questions. So here, here's my infamous line to that. I'm willing to do anything it takes to get this deal done. You know mm-hmm. what? But we have we have to be honest about it, Josh. You know, Congress is probably not going to get this done. Right. You know, um, the only really way is convention in the state on Amendment 5, right? Um, when I look at the budget and I look at spending, it's not what gets cut my opinion is what needs to be kept is that crazy i mean right like you know we've got so many problems that everything from entitlements and military everything needs a deep dive and we need to get out of it if, if, if it's not something that we need to be inherently responsible for at the federal level from the federal government we we need to we need to get out of all of that business as much as possible because the reality is is um, our, nest, our national debt is out of control. And so, uh, you know, we've got, we got too many people taking on too many responsibilities and paying for them. And, and you know, it, it it doesn't need to be happening.
0: Yep. Agree with you there. Yeah. Um... So another thing that Congress, you know, has the power to do is is to uh, declare war. We're, we're in some protracted, extended conflicts overseas, and have been, you know, I think going nearly on going on nearly two decades with some of these things. What um, we talk a lot, and I say we as a people, uh, we talk a lot about you know taking care of our veterans and making sure that that the ones that are in need of medical care and mental mental care, mental health care get that but i think one of the best ways in my opinion i'll just tell you my slant is that we should end our foreign conflicts and we should bring our troops home i think the best way to take care of our troops is to not put them in harm's way uh indefinitely for you know with no with no gain or benefit uh, that anyone can reasonably talk about right so where do you stand on the the wars that we are essentially currently in um should we end them should we bring the troops home what are your thoughts on that
1: well, i got to tell you, so I was telling you earlier, one of my members of my campaign is um, an ex-Marine, right? I'll never forget the day that I called him, and I said, "Let's can we talk a little bit about this is way back, Middle East conflict, and what you think about foreign wars, and bringing our troops home, and where you're at in that opi- opinion. So here's what I'll tell you. I am not a fan of bringing troops home for every single thing that we're doing not all of them but when we look at at iran or iraq and afghanistan we have to be honest to ourselves we what are we doing there you know when you when you look at that situation which really erupted i think from what um 9-11 we go back um you know We went into this, and they do not even have a uniform military, right? They, our, our people can't even engage. So how can you win a war? Why are you there? So we've got too much blood and what I would consider too much treasury spent in this space with little results, right? I, when it comes to war, if we have to go to protect our country, to protect our people, to protect the way of life that we enjoy every single day, then, you know, we have to call on Congress with the sole power to declare war, right? Right. We, we are still spending money and blood and people away from their families and no results. And it's one of those things that every one of these things needs to be evaluated because, you know, I, I would love to let you talk to one day the gentleman in my team, Corey, the Marine that will tell you stories that will just roll your eyes back on what we're doing there. You know, it's, it's people are walking down the street and you can't engage in fire until they fire at you. But yet you don't know if they're friendly or not friendly. You know, I mean, like, you know, for me, war is to go to go in, do what we need to do and come back out to protect us, to protect the things that we stand for. And, um, you know, we got no business in some of this stuff and we need to bring the troops home definitely for Iraq and Afghanistan. And we need to be careful of the ones that we go into. Um, and how long we're there and what our what our expectations are because even in business you wouldn't go send somebody out and just waste money and time and let people die for the heck of it happening
0: so. yeah if you're running a company you wouldn't send a couple thousand employees to another country and not give them a goal an objective, and objective and a list of things that they should be accomplishing over there you yeah know, you wouldn't well you wouldn't
1: I, again on that on on that behalf i would Call on my members of Congress to say these 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 are things that need seriously addressing.
0: Right. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Um. So let's talk about you know the thing that that everybody's wanted to talk about all the time. Let's talk about COVID nineteen, the famous or infamous coronavirus. Um. What what are your thoughts on a how the federal government has handled uh, the pandemic so far and, and B anything that you might have done differently if, if you were sort of in Congress and able to impact how the federal government handled it?
1: Sure. So because I am actively involved in this arena, I have to be really careful what I say because some of the stuff that I have, I'm very privileged to the information. Um, I I will start with my statement of, of, um, being open and honest as I can about this, Um, and bear with me as I kind of walk through this off the top of my head. Number one, we were literally building this plane as we were flying it, you know, and the reason why that happened, in my opinion, is the World Health Organization did not do its job. And, and I don't want to point my finger at them because it's almost like assigning an employee a bunch of tasks and then hold them accountable for not getting one thing done, right? Done right. Their sole job is world health. And we are a global community now. People are traveling all over. So one thing in one part of the world can come to us very rapidly. And, you know, the reality is, is I think, you know, despite the conversation, I know for a fact, Josh, that our administration was doing everything in its power to um, to slow this down to get to get their arms around it. And and the moment for me, and I, I may not even should say this, but I'm still going to say it. It was February the 11th of this year, and I'll have to send you some pictures. I'm physically sitting in the White House with Kellyanne Conway and a bunch of our medical professionals. And we were having a meeting about the COVID-19 and the fact that it was no more than the flu. And this is what our thoughts were. Things were getting blown out of proportion. And this is what the current reports were. (laughs) By the end of that week, (laughs) when I was leaving the White House healthcare conversation, it was completely out of control. And I said, how did we go from on February the 11th having this conversation to February the 15th or 17th, whatever the day was, having a different conversation. You can only make decisions at a top-level leadership with the information you have. And I will promise you this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that administration was making the best possible decisions on the current information they had. But, but, you know what? again this is where politics comes into play when you allow politics to play and things to begin happen things are not always as they appear right and sometimes people get hurt in 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 the process um COVID-19 is a serious problem uh COVID-19 is not just killing people but it's killing businesses um The problem with COVID-19 is not just the virus. And when we say the virus, we say the testing and we say the treatment and the plans for a vaccination. Those are one piece, right? But we have to be honest with each other and have a conversation about people are people. I was telling this on AARP last night. I am literally working all day long and I happen to go run by public. One evening, on my way home, and I'd been running around all day, and on my way into the grocery store, I ran straight into the bathroom because I wanted to run to the bathroom before I went straight to shopping, and not only did you use the restroom, but wash my hands. A lady is passing me. She goes in and walks right out and never washed her hands. We got a people problem, too. You know? So, yep. I, I don't think this virus is going away soon. So, I don't know if you know this. In my campaign... You know, we all have canvassing people out every day, you know, knocking. Well, not knocking on doors, but dropping off uh, materials. Right. I don't know if you know this. Every single household, the registered voters in those households were also delivering them a mask with a CDC guideline. I told them, listen, this is not just about dropping off an Amy Pope Wells for Congress flyer. This is about I don't know what resources people have, if they can get out of their home, if they can afford a mask and have access to masks. But here's what I know. I have access to them. And so I secured a large volume, and every single home we're going to, I'm making sure they have it with a note. And so it's serious. And it's serious because we're not just talking about it ruins economy, and we we have hospitals that are inundated, but we also have vulnerable people that just, they're at the mercy of how someone else followed followed the guidelines, right? I mean, come on. It, it, it is a problem, and we we have to do everything. We work together to get past it. And again, we go back to the same answer: follow follow the advice of people working on policy and the actions that need to be taken, and not the political propaganda. And um and and we can begin to make things better for people because I don't I don't. I struggle with this every day. I, I, I don't know if you know this, but you know we had a person in, in my family that also contracted COVID nineteen and almost passed away. And so it's it, it's serious. It's it's very serious. And um and not only is it serious once it gets you to get over it, but the damages of the organ issues that are that are happening as well. And so uh, we we've got to get our arms around this, and we need the World Health Organization to do its job. And, and get out of some of the other businesses that's been in for a long time on other little programs and things and, and get serious about world health and how we protect each other in, in, a, in a global market.
0: Would you be in favor of a national mask mandate or is that something you would support?
1: No, so, you know, I, I don't I don't believe in taking people's rights away um, and forcing people to do things. But what I do think we need to do is to have some... Some, some real strong conversations around education and best practice and then put things in place to help support that. Oh, you know, almost like, well, I'm not going to make you wear a mask, but when you come in, we're going to suggest you do this, and we're going to make sure that we provide you the options of hand wiping when you walk through and hand wiping as you walk out and, right. and those kind of things. But I look at that as a business practice. I wouldn't want my business um, – put in a situation where I would have my, force my employees to come to work, but while you're here, you wear a mask, but, but provide them the tools and resources to do what's necessary while they're there. Um, also, just so you know, when it comes to Clay County, a lot of people don't know this, but they are welcome to look this up and reach out. Um, I sit on the Clay County Development Authority Board. Um, I have a great friend that's been in, um, in, in, um, in uh, the procurement business for a long time. And fortunately for me, I knew a scientist who built a product called Gold Shield, G-O-L-D-S-H-I-E-L-D. We secured $35,000 worth of product that is the best and brightest in this space. You can spray this product in the environment, and for 30 days and up to 90 days, it continues to disinfect. We have secured this product in Jacksonville Transportation Authority, in Clay County Administration, and we have purchased it and store it in the Clay County Chamber of Commerce for free. Anybody that wants to pick up this product and spray their business, because it's not just about wiping it down because as soon as somebody touches their mouth, a hands they touch it again, it's going again. This is a product that kills it on contact and continues to kill. These are the types of technology and resources and solutions that we need to be making. Not just forcing people to wear a mask, and oh, by the way, when they force it, they're going to pull it down. They're going to wrap, they're going to wipe their nose. They're going to put their fingers in the mouth and they're going to touch something again. Right. That's not the solution.
0: Yeah, That's I, I agree solution. with you. We have a, with what you said earlier, we have a people problem, right? You know, um, yeah, people we are going to.
1: But we can fix that. We can fix that, Josh. We can fix that. There are tools and resources out there. It, it doesn't get fixed with something as simple as force everybody to put a mask on their face. There's there products out there and they're great things. You have to look good stuff up.
0: It's serious business. Yeah, I don't know that we, I guess like my thoughts are, I don't know that we can fix the people problem, but what we can do for folks that are willing to take necessary precautions on their own without being forced to, you know, we can insulate people right. who are, who are going to think clearly and say, Hey, if this virus is a real threat, here are things that I can do to protect myself and my family. You know, other people that don't take those precautions, precautions, you know, they, they let the let the chips fall where they may, I guess, right? Like everybody's sort of, right, right. Um, you know, because I'm sort of in a, people tell me I'm an extremist in that. I, I don't think the government's role or job is to try to save everyone from everything all the time. Um, I don't think that even if no. it was its job, that it would be able to accomplish that. Um, so, you know, I think people right. sort of have to people sort of have to make a decision. They have to decide their own level of risk that they're comfortable with. Right. Everybody's got to sort of judge like here's what I'm comfortable doing or not doing. Uh, But I like your ideas. You know, I think if the government's going to exist, we should, you know, use some of the funds that the government has to educate people and, and, and Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. forcefully, but like incentivize them, you know, positively to, 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 handle things the way they ought to be handled, especially something as serious as COVID. You hear these wild stories. Some people get it. All they get is a fever. Some people get no symptoms. Other people end up in the hospital for weeks or months at a time. Like, it's just, it's crazy. It's a, yeah. it's a, you know, um, sure. uh, Well, know, one, le-
1: one thing that a lot of people don't realize is the gene is mutating. And if you'd like, after I do my, um, my call with USGLC, I can probably shoot you some, some updates on some, some of the serious information that's happening, yeah, not the propaganda do. that's going out there, but. You know, my opinion is we have to protect our vulnerable. Our children don't know any better than our elderly, you know, they do the best they can. But we have solutions out there that can treat and disinfect and, and handle things a little bit better while we educate. It, I'm just telling you, a mask mandate is not going to solve the problem.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you there. And, it's, you know, it's, forcing
1: people to do something, it, it, I, it would be nice if that's the solution, but it's not. So. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So, all right. Um, this has been a good conversation. I've enjoyed it. I want to give you uh, one last opportunity. Um, you know, give uh, the people of Clay County your 32nd elevator pitch as to why they should vote for you, uh, in the primary for, uh, the third congressional district.
1: (laughs) I wasn't expecting the closing statement, but let me see. So here's what I'll tell you, Josh, we're, we're at a crossroads in our country. Um, the world's on fire, and we need to send real experienced professionals to fight for us in this district to D.C. Um, I'm a business owner. I've been um, involved with this community for a very long time. Um, I'm not a career politician. Like I said earlier, I've, I've not done this to uh, build name or power or money. I, I have, you know, a life outside of this. Um, I championed term limits in this community, um, through the charter review commission. And I saw how painful that is to, to actually represent the voice of the people, but yet things to get in the way of making that happen. Um, I believed in term limits. I stood strong for term limits. I will continue to do it. You know, you're, you're not going to find me to be the kind of person that's going to be in Congress for the rest of my life. All I want is to serve this community and help make it better. To bring resources and opportunities to to this place, I have not only a lot of experience of solving major issues, um, but you know a lot of a lot of people in this race will tell you, "Oh, I'm a business owner and I do this and I do that." Let me just tell you. I'm a real business owner. I'm a real mom. I'm a real wife. I'm a real grandmother. I'm going to be 50 years old. And now is my time to help. You know, if you're in a place that you can make a difference, why not? You know, um, I'm never going to go along to get along. I'm going to always do what's right to support families and my fellow neighbors and my community. And I hope and I pray that this community will do their homework and understand, because in this election, once this seat is there, it it could be a long time coming. And you're going to want someone that has a heart for the people over the politics. And, you know, that's my commitment is they will get the best of me every single day. The biggest part of my heart and the best part of my brain to make, you know, our community vibrant and healthy and um, a place we can all be proud of to live
0: Well, that's that's good to hear uh, again I appreciate your time I'll, I'll tell you what I tell um, everyone um, you know I wish you best of luck at the polls and and I appreciate you spending some time with me today
1: yeah. thank you Josh I appreciate it. Thank